Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. Today's subject is not the most exciting subject in the world, but I think it's an incredible verse and I don't know whether I'm going to have the ability to do justice to it and explain it properly. We have actually come to the end of John chapter 8. seems like we've been in John chapter 8 forever, but I promise you these are the last few verses and it ends on the most incredible crescendo that you can imagine that perhaps we don't fully understand, but for the first hearers, it was perhaps the most remarkable thing that Jesus said to them. So we pick it up where Jesus is debating with some of the Jewish leaders and authorities uh, about his status. And uh, they have... Um, got angry that he's told them that they're not real descendants of Abraham. Genetically, they are, but he's saying that they don't act as those who follow in the line of Abraham. So we're going to pick it up where they looked at all our previous studies, I hope, and you've got the context of this. We'll pick it up at verse 51 of John chapter 8. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. That was what we looked at last time. And then verse 52, at this they exclaimed, now we know you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and uh, so did all the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus talked about glorifying himself, which we looked at in our study more recently about pointing to Jesus. If you want to go back and find that. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Now, if we stop here, we've got this perception and image of perhaps the Father and Jesus being slightly separate. Clearly, God in heaven and God in human form are separate, but there can be a feeling that there are kind of two different beings, two different gods going on here. One's really God, the Father, and then Jesus is kind of a semi-god. That's how a lot of Christians perceive the Trinity and a lot of folks uh, interpret these kind of ideas in this place. But we mustn't stop here. We need to go on because 55 says, though you do not know him, that's the Father in heaven, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. We talked before about how they lied and that was one of our studies earlier. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And again, we looked at that before. Yet you're not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And the last verse, at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus himself hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Why did they want to stone him? Simply because he said, before Abraham was born, I am. We're going to try and get into the background of what's going on here uh, because it's really significant and really important. On the one level, we may say that all Jesus was saying was that he had pre-existed Abraham, that he was older than Abraham, that before Abraham had lived, he had lived. And in one sense, that would imply that if he was older than Abraham, if he had longer life than Abraham, that he was greater than Abraham. 
But that isn't really why they were angry. That isn't really why they wanted to kill him there and then. They're itching, grabbing, searching for stones to throw at him. They are really, really incensed. He has really, really gone too far with this sentence. But why? Well, if he was pre-existent, that might be an implication that he was claiming to be God. But it's the way he says it that really makes them feel that he is blaspheming, that he is insulting the very nature of God. So why is this phrase blasphemy? And what are the implications for us? Well, to understand this, we need to go back to the story of Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3 where God is calling uh, Moses to, to go to the Pharaoh and to the people who are enslaved, the Israelite people who are enslaved, he's to go to them and to set them free. And Moses is very unsure. He's got a lot of questions about whether he's worthy, whether he's capable, whether the message is credible. And he says to God, who's appeared to him in that burning bush, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites, that's my own people, who he's been exiled from because he'd murdered uh, an Egyptian soldier. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask, what is your name? What shall I tell them? Now, it's probable that there were all kinds of gods who had different names. Baal was the god. the god of the, the, the bull, the calf. There were other gods, Asherah. They're all gods with different names. Sun, thunder, all kinds of different ideas. And he says to uh, God, who are you? Who shall I tell him you are? Which of these gods? Are you Baal? Are you um, the god of the sun or fire or whatever it is? And then God says something which folks have puzzled over and debated ever since. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are say to, the, say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now, the way that word is phrased, I am who I am, uh, can also be in the presence or the future tense. For, or, so it could be, I will be who I will be. The Amplified Version of the Bible puts it like this. And God, the Amplified Version is a really helpful version of the Bible, which gives every explanation of a word. Instead of just choosing the, the nearest word, it will give every word that it could be. So sometimes to understand the text, the Amplified Bible is really helpful. So the Amplified Bible says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And he said, You shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. I am. I am who I am. Now, what does this mean? Why does he say this? Let's just give a little bit more explanation. The Hebrew is four letters without a vowel. And uh, so it's a little bit complex as to what it means. But um, more recently, we've put in uh, an A and an E. So you get the word Yahweh. And Yahweh is often thought to be the way it was pronounced. In olden times, before we had more understanding of the way the uh, Hebrew language was spoken, the word was, uh, they put an E, an O and an A in and made it Jehovah. So you may be familiar with that phrase, Jehovah. Now, most of the time in the Old Testament, 
the writers don't, uh, the translators don't say Yahweh or Jehovah. They're trying to unpack this phrase, I am who I am. I am everything. I am all things. I am the sum of everything. And so if you've got an Old Testament, you will see the word Lord in capitals. And whenever the word Lord is in capitals, it is this word Yahweh. It is this phrase, I am. And scholars and, and uh, both Jewish and Christian scholars have debated for years as to whether his name is I am or whether he is saying I am bigger than a name. Clearly, the meaning of names is really significant. And that even if his name is I am, the phrase I am means something. Now, I apologize if I'm confusing you. I'm doing my best to try and explain something that is quite complicated. But by saying I am who I am, he is saying I am not like any other God. I'm not like any other Tom, Dick or Harry or, or any other name of a God, the fire, the sun, the moon, the thunder, uh, Baal, Asherah, whatever it is. I'm not like one of the gods. I am everything. There is no other God like me. There is nothing like me. I am. There is, if you describe and define what a God is, I am the summation of it all. There is no other thing like me. He says to Moses, I am everything. And if they want to, to name me, then they are trying to contain me, restrict me into a label and a box. And I am bigger than all of that. For that reason, in the uh, Israelite faith, the Jewish faith, they would not pronounce this word Yahweh. They wouldn't say it because they felt that even to say it was to constrain or to create a, an unhelpful image of God. That's why the Old Testament uses this phrase, the Lord, because it was only ever written down. It was never said. God, who is everything. I am who I am. Later on, after and around the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses questions God again and says, look, who are you? Who are you that you call yourself I am? Tell me what you're like. Show yourself to me. Reveal yourself. Give me more than I am. And we have this incredible moment where God passes by uh, Moses and it's a very strange story because in passing by, we're not given a description of what Moses sees. In fact, Moses doesn't seem to see anything. His, his sight is hidden and he's not able to see, but rather he gets to hear something. So the description of this God who is everything, the I am, the creator, the God beyond gods, the God supreme to every other thing that might call itself God, is defined by his characteristics. And so this, when Moses says, can I see you? This is what happens. And he, that is Yahweh, the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. I am is defined as compassion and graciousness. The one who sees the weakness and 
foolishness and sinfulness and brokenness of mankind and with compassion and grace reaches out. This is who God is. This is the definition of I am, compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. There is anger. But our God is slow to anger. Why? Because he is abounding in love. And faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. So here's this picture. How do we describe who Yahweh is? He is the God who is slow, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. He is compassionate. He's abounding. Wonderful metaphors. It's very rich language. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Note that description. It's really important. That defines the whole human condition and the nature and characteristic and description of the eternal, supreme God beyond all gods is that he is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion and sin. And then that's important because the next line is sometimes picked up on as a way of criticizing God. In order to forgive something, you have to say that something was wrong. If I forgive you, you must have wronged me in the first place. If you haven't done anything wrong, then I would excuse you. But if you've done something wrong, then it's legitimate for me to forgive. And God forgives because mankind legitimately has done things wrong. And if we don't recognize that, if we do not acknowledge our sin, then this is where the next part comes in. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The guilty here is meaning the unrepentant, those who don't think they've done anything wrong. He's saying that there is a consequence to rebellion, wickedness and sin. Remember, he's the God who forgives rebellion, wickedness and sin. The consequence without turning to, the, to God who is slow to anger, the consequence of ignoring his compassion and grace, the consequence of turning against God, is that we damage our lives, not only our lives, but our children's lives and our children's children's lives. And then unless we turn to this aboundingly loving God, we not only wreck our lives, we wreck the lives of those who follow on. He wants to forgive all record, uh, weakness, uh, wickedness, rebellion and sin, but he cannot allow it to go unpunished if there is no Repentance. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, deliberate pun, deliberate use of this word, I am. I'm God. Yahweh. How on earth could the God who is beyond definition, the God who is beyond all other gods, the God who is infinite, who will be what he will be, who is beyond description, who is beyond labelling and defining, how could a man stood before them say, I am? Now, this isn't a one-off. Much later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to arrest Jesus and Judas comes before him, and uh, they, they say to him, he says to the, the soldiers who have come, who is it that you want? This is John 18, 4 and 5, 6. Jesus of Nazareth, they said, I am he. 
It must have been the way he says, I am. Because we read in the next verse, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. In shock, in awe, here is the God that they are about to arrest. So what does this mean? Jesus is saying to them, I'm Yahweh. I am the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who does not leave sin unpunished. I am he. I am the God who is greater than Baal. I am the God of all things. I am the God of Abraham. You see, he is not saying I am inferior to the Father. He is saying I am Yahweh. As the Father was Yahweh, I am God. So if Jesus is fully God, I want to suggest two things that are really, really important. If Jesus is fully God, then humanity is fully loved and we are to be listened and, and, and we are to listen to him. So the implications for us are that God has come and this was mind-blowing to them. He took on human form. They considered humanity depraved and dirty and shameful and yet here is a human in front of them saying, I am. I am the holy God who Moses couldn't even look upon, who Moses couldn't see. They asked, Jesus is saying, you can see me now. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to Moses, you want a name for God? You want to know what I'm called? I'm called Jesus. And you can test it out. Just have a look. See if I'm gracious and compassionate and faithful and slow to anger. And even in this discourse, if I leave the guilty unpunished. And so here is the most radical of statements. That God has come to earth. Not just a God. Not just a sort of slightly lesser part of God. But Yahweh, I am who I am. The God who Moses couldn't touch. The God who the people had to stay at the bottom of the hill. The God who uh, was beyond all other gods has come through a stable and walked with the disciples and listened to them and fed them and healed them and taught them. And so we too must take Jesus seriously. We must really give him weight. We must honour Jesus and worship him and call him for who he is, God. Unless we want to stone him unless we want to accuse him of blasphemy. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a good teacher. He was the all-surpassing power of God in human form. So what does that mean for us? How does Jesus, being the Lord, I am, who I am. How does that affect our obedience to him? 
We talked about this a few weeks ago. When we see the Old Testament and Jesus sort of appear in contradiction, where do we go? When our theology is built around Old Testament ideas, when our theology is built around ideas that we deduce from places that we can't actually see in Jesus, we've got to submit to Jesus and worship him. Even as they came to arrest him, they fell to the ground before him. And this is our God who takes our sin on the cross, who takes the crown of thorns, who sacrifices himself for us because he loves us. It is beyond understanding that this God should die in our place. So how much value have we? How much are we loved and wanted? How significant is our breath? Because Yahweh, the God who no one could touch and live, came and died and rose again and lives for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we call you Lord for that is who you are. You are Yahweh. You are, I am. You are God beyond all other gods. You are all that we need. And we love you and we worship you and we honour you. Help us to live like you. To be gracious and compassionate. To be slow to anger. To be abounding in love. to bring your forgiveness help us to turn from our guilt and follow you for you have invested everything in us and we say here I am Lord I serve you in Jesus name Amen